Hello and welcome to another episode of That 60s Recording Podcast, the podcast that has conversations inspired by the golden era of recording. My name is Joe Montague and I am your host. I hope you've all had a wonderful week. I've had a few people getting in touch to tell me how much they've enjoyed the Kesmar album that dropped on Friday. Um, I've been listening to it too and I'm absolutely loving it. So this conversation is super interesting given that it's right in the forefront of my mind. Um, If you haven't gone to check it out, please do. Um, Also, just wanted to say very quickly, this is something I haven't reminded everybody of for a a long, long time. If you're a new listener to this podcast, something that would be really useful for you to do is if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or if you're listening on Spotify, if you could just give it a review you don't even have to write anything if you just click five stars and then uh i don't know it helps and and spread the word of the podcast it's nice that um we, we've got a nice little community building and it's uh well it's it's built and building and exists um so yeah please spread the word of the podcast and i appreciate you guys listening um so yeah uh, no other news so i'm just going to dive straight into the second part of my conversation with nathan hawes aka kesmar ready for my attempt at an advert here it comes make noise pro audio are specialists in used pro audio equipment and since 2015 they've been on an endless quest to supply all things modern old vintage and obscure everything from outboard microphones synthesizers audio interfaces drum machines mixing consoles studio monitors amplifiers cabling furniture and everything in between go and check them out at make noise sam's a lovely chap definitely go and do it enjoy the episode can imagine one of the well I, I know that one of the things that I that mixing outside of the box takes away the temptation to do a lot of the automatic things that we get told you need to do when you are mixing mm. so um you know things like uh uh oh, what's the word I'm looking for a uh, sort of cut specific EQ cuts mm-hmm. or um compression on specific things mm-hmm. or whatever you you often forget that you need to do those things because you just go, well, it sounds great. So you, you're not yeah. automatically putting a you know a high pass on something to get rid of low end frequencies because totally I can't hear that there's a problem. Yeah, so, yeah. And it gets rid of the temptation to do that because you you don't visually see like oh I need I can yeah. see a load of low end on that you know on the yeah, uh, yeah. on the, visually uh-huh. on the screen so yeah. I must get rid of it. Um, yeah. How did you find that? Um. Yeah. Again, I was just like. I don't know. I think just because it's just been like imprinted into me for so long to like look at the frequency band on like an EQ rather than like listen to it. Um, so yeah, I was just trying to be like selective, but at the same time, just like treating the um, the like doll rig as just like a playback unit, really. Um, mm-hmm. And then I just kind of treat it as just like 
I just have a, like a few kind of plugins there that of the like plugin version of the real hardware units that I didn't have, um, yeah. like an LA two A or something. Um, but yeah, like on a vocal or something, it was like I'd track it in with like a seventy six and then like a six ten and then through my console. So when it got to like my door, it was just like an LA two A to catch the end and then like a plate reverb really. Um, where like before then it was just like this big plug-in chain but it just wasn't the sound <laughs> so again it just all comes back to just learning and figuring out what works um so for me that that works the best i think from listening to it I, you can you can tell i think from the you know going back to what i was saying before about the the first um single release off that you did as kesma mm. and, and also just other um you know there are other people working in this style you know it's quite popular there's um Guys like uh, who are sort of in the more commercial side of things, you know, like Bruno Mars mm. and Mark Ronson. You know, mm. they're all still in that that kind of like it's it's dap tone, that yeah. sort of dap tone thing. But when it's they obviously are taking using modern techniques mm. as well to to mix. And I think one of the things that strikes me listening to records that are made like you know like this record, and there's another chap I had I spoke to called Michael Rout, um, uh, yeah. who. Yeah, like his his stuff sounds incredible, mm. and it's not tiring to listen to because mm. it's not compressed and limited to the yeah. nth degree, and it's really it's just smooth and mm. enjoyable, and it's it, yeah, I don't feel exhausted like I've been battered when yeah. when I listen to it, think- and you can you can hear the direct comparison too. I mean, specifically in drum sounds, mm. um, you know, I'm listening to the drum sounds on on your records, and the snare's not like. Mm. super up front and the kick's not super thumping mm. but they're definitely there there is a thump on it yeah. and there's a definite weight to the snare uh-huh. but i don't feel tired you know bombarded constantly by it <laughs> yeah i think it's just like comes back to that thing of like when i was kind of learning to engineer and everything it was like if you want a fat snare sound like absolutely just like smash the whole snare through a compressor and then like smash your overheads through a compressor. It's going to sound fat. And it's like, that's not necessarily it. It's like most of it comes down to the drum in and how the person's playing it. Um, but yeah, I guess like another learning thing was just like reading all of like, um, the, the interviews of Bruce Sweetie and like Michael Jackson's engineer. He just hated compression and he hated the way it sounded on drums. And then, um uh yeah i kind of went through a phase where i was just downloading like multi-tracks or like just scouring the internet for multi-tracks and then listening to like yeah all of that kind of like mj like early early mj and like even the jackson five and everything it's just like there's <laughs> whenever bruce sweetie was touching it there was like no compression on there he was always just like smashing into the tape and letting that do the job um mm. So I think, yeah, once I kind of learned that, but then for so long I was kind of like, but I need a compressor on my kick drum. Otherwise it's like not going to like hit hard enough. But I think I tried to then let like technique and everything do its thing rather than compression or something. And now if like, yeah, most of the time for like the, the music that I'm making, it's like very, 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 very little and no like master bus, like crunch or like anything. It's, you know, I'm kind of just trying to, yeah, let the let the transients on the tape do do the work. I think it's a. It, I remember listening through to um, heard it through the grapevine multi tracks mm. and listening to the drums on there, and 
listening through to multi tracks in that way is so inspiring because oh, you you're sort of so hearing good. yeah well you're you're hearing them as part of a whole aren't you yeah. so you're almost um it's almost like an op- optical illusion when you listen to a record because mm. you're listening you know they they're using definitely you know maybe like the low end of of the actual bass guitar mm. to help with the low end yeah. of the kick drum or something and then yeah. suddenly when you hear them separate like that you you your mind's opened to yeah. to what the actual real sound is and i remember listening to the drums and them being just really roomy and really yeah. not a lot to them and going totally. oh i can do that sound that's yeah, a, you exactly. know that sound i think that's where, that was like the best thing that i ever learned was when i was making this record and i was just going through so many phases of just self-doubt really um and yeah i just go hard and just find all these multi-tracks of just like any kind of soul band or like um yeah whether it be like jackson five or yeah like even like the more like super successful like thriller or something um Mm -hmm. and listening to those multi-tracks and there's mistakes everywhere (laughs) yeah (laughs) and like it but you can't hear them so it's fine or even like um earth wind fire like multi-tracks like september and everything like listening to those and it was kind of like the bigger the song the better i'd feel about hearing all those mistakes in there that i couldn't hear in the master recording but then you go into the multi-tracks and you're like that sounds insane like well like the drum mix or something would sound absolutely ridiculous soloed but then you you know you you put it in there and you like you just mind blown and that gave me like such a confidence of being like these records are the best some of the best records ever made um and then you really dive into them and you kind of select them as if they were your own song and you find all these little imperfections everywhere so i think that's you know a lot of the time yeah you you have and when you kind of do it yourself you have like unlimited ways on a door to like look at the kick drum and then listen to the snare drum and everything's so isolated and you hear every little mistake in there and then you hear the master recording of your own song and you're like oh i can hear all those mistakes and it just can drive you crazy until you get to that point where you kind of just let go and you're like it sounds fine like let's keep keep moving on i find that very difficult as a as a player delivering mm-hmm. uh, something to an artist, yeah. I find that quite difficult to to limit how much, how perfect it needs to be. Yeah. You know, my my temptation is to be, you know, like basically essentially do what you're saying. Yeah, and I, you know, I want to leave a few little interesting things yeah. in there, or you know, if I've done a take where the the general feel of the take's really good, but there's yeah. one little bit that, you know, it's not it's not wildly incorrect it's mm. just not quite what i had in mind mm-hmm. my the way i've resolved that now is i'll often mention it to the client mm. or the artist in, in an email and say you know look that's there yeah i've left it there on purpose yeah and yeah. And, and you know if you really want me to fix it i'll obviously i'll fix yeah. it but i think it's really cool and it's it's a tough one to 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 get your head around because my you know there's always that temptation to think am i just being lazy by leaving that mm. mistake in there or is it genuinely adding to the feel of the mm-hmm. song? Um, and yeah, it's it's a it's it's difficult to remain objective. And oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be it's interested so... to know. I mean, especially when you're doing it all yourself. How how do you how did you cope with remaining objective or attempting to remain objective? Oh, it's so hard. I think you know, like you said, when you you do a drum track for someone, and then you listen back to it, and you're like, oh, that that's that's dragging or you know, I, I didn't hit the snare as much as I'd like to in that part or something. And then 
every time you kind of listen to it, you hear those parts rather than listening to it. So then when you kind of do it by yourself and you play the bass and the guitar and the piano and a lot of the time you can just hear the little mistakes and that's kind of like the reality, I think, of doing like a whole kind of like solo um, production. But I think, um, I don't know, it just comes back to kind of just like self-confidence and just like, not necessarily like knowing your craft but being confident in enough to do something that you love because at the end of the day it doesn't really matter how many people enjoy it you still have to really enjoy it at the end of the day um but yeah it's definitely it's always an uphill battle constantly um but yeah i think also the kind of side that it is a hobby it's just like such a rush as well of like getting a drum sound that you love or like anything like that it's that for me can kind of combat the the rest of it um but yeah i think it's all just like it'd be just kind of learning curve of um yeah just just kind of trying to get better as a player and um get better as like a producer and an arranger and everything um so yeah but it's definitely definitely a tricky thing when you hear yourself and everything <laughs> True. <laughs> it's it's such a you're right it's such a rush when the day, the most, the best days, the best and worst days I've mm. had at the studio have been where I've gone and wanted to try something new. Yeah, and it's gone wrong. Yeah, yeah. And I've come, I've spent ten hours, and I'm late home. You know, mm-hmm. I've got a wife and kids. Yeah, I'm yeah. late home. They're all hungry because I'm supposed yeah. to have cooked dinner that night. Everything's not gone to plan, and I'm just feeling really crap about myself. You know, I, yeah. I went in with so much gusto, thinking like, yeah, I'm going to try out this totally. new miking technique didn't work and then you just fail completely in yeah. the whole day you go to bed wake up the next day go back to the studio do everything again but mm-hmm. le- having done what you learned the previous day <laughs> yeah and then you reapproach it and when you nail that sound oh, after failing so at it so many times yeah it's it's an absolute buzz yeah i think for me like a lot of it comes <laughs> from the hobby side of it of like ha- like buying this gear and collecting it and like fixing it up at the same time it's like it's tactile and it just like it just feels good and it's seeing the you know like the spools of a tape machine tone it like definitely does something inside of me it might be like incredibly stupid but like i think it sounds better because because i'm watching the spools turn around and like all the vu meters like go and everything (laughs) you know what i mean so it's like everything has a has a place and it like um not that you know like twisting knobs like helps me write songs but it definitely gets me amped and then i think it turns my brain into something more positive which allows me to continue to be able to do the thing that i'm doing rather than it pull me out of it um because yeah a lot of the time when you're just doing it solo it's just hard to understand when it's finished or what a when an idea is good enough but i think um yeah definitely having the ease of this equipment and just the feeling that it gives me it makes me excited so mm-hmm. should put me most of the time puts me in a better mood than um yeah bit get, getting down in the dumps how did you approach i mean it's quite a you know you talked about what you did before in terms of um uh genre mm. were you conscious of losing an, the audience with having like a completely new sound or was that part of the the fact of not being Nathan Hawes anymore and being Kesmar um, or how I think um 
Yeah, I mean, it was definitely something that crossed my mind. Um, but I think, yeah, I was like, I think I was, uh, I was about 19 when I decided I wanted to do another project called Kesma. Um, so I just, I wanted to ingrain it into myself early on. Um, and especially in that time in my life when, you know, I didn't, I could kind of just do whatever I wanted cause I was a teenager. <laughs> I didn't have <laughs> a, a family that was relying on me. Um, so I guess doing it early was, was good. I don't know how it will be in the future <laughs> when I have to provide. Um, but no, I think it was just something important that I always wanted to see myself doing is just doing the thing that I love and, um, you know, just being able to just make it, make it work if it's not doing well or if it is doing well at the same time. Um, you know, but I guess it also just goes hand in hand with being able to do production for other people and like finding ways of, of to, to be able to keep going than just the solo project. And like I said, I have another project, um, that kind of keeps things going as well. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a tricky one to navigate. Um, but yeah, I think it just came came down to me wanting to um, pursue whatever I wanted to pursue. And then I did the start of the Kesma project and now it's like kind of completely different again. Um, but yeah, I was always kind of in my mind that I'd lose some audience. But I think for longevity, you have to have to love it. Yeah, of course. Did you have the whole... I'm really interested in the, the sort of stylistic side of it. It's mm. It's really... I mean, these days with the way that the Instagram and all that kind of stuff is you, a project's not necessarily just one, like a, a record mm. and you put it out there. It's, it's a series of, of singles and, mm. you know, having, making more of mm. less. So, you know, yeah. taking one single and sort of making a really big deal out of that. Yeah. And then it accumulates into an album. How, how did you approach sort of the way that all of that works within Obviously, that's kind of vastly different mm-hmm. from from the way that we've just discussed recording it. But yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm interested in how you how you went about thinking about the branding of it all and and the way that you've because presumably you're you've got your finger in all of that as well. You're mm. you've got nobody. You're not got a huge team doing it all. You're, yeah. you're having to. <laughs> yeah, I think when it just came to like shooting the videos and how I want everything to look and feel, it's just like continue to do everything like as in practical as i can so <laughs> shoot shoot on film and um yeah but i've I've got like some good buddies around me who are like great filmmakers but like i'll conceptualize everything and direct it um but yeah i guess it was just kind of true to um to the sound really and again like shooting on film is like an incredibly similar way of recording on analog tape it's like you only have so much and you have to figure out a way to make it work um but yeah, I do love the the side of it of yeah, getting to make clips and everything, but I don't love the whole like mm, make something and then we want to like double it. We want to put out singles and then we want to put out a video and everything. I think the the drawer is something that most people just can't stand. Um you know, if it was up to me, it'd be like one song then a record <laughs> the month later. <laughs> but it's um but yeah, times are just different and um but yeah like i love shooting on film like i'm shooting a clip tomorrow um and it's just like i think to just i just try to treat it in the same way of just like writing the music is just to like have fun with it and um to try and let it happen like 
as organically as possible. I think it's just really important because you have to be the one telling people to like go listen to it or like watch it. So yeah, it'd be, it'd be, um, it'd be tough like shooting, shooting a clip or something and hating it and then having to tell everyone about it. (laughs) (laughs) How is, is it all the same sort of thing when you approach live? I mean, are you playing this project out live? Yeah, we have a bit. Um, we haven't toured in a while just because I've been making the record and touring here mm-hmm. in Australia is kind of, it's a little bit different to the rest of the world just because I, I guess... Mean, it's huge, huge, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's the, the main thing is just trying to make it like feasible is really, really hard because, yeah, you have to fly everywhere and then really the, you can play like Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne and then go over to Perth is just like can just be too expensive a lot of the time so it's a lot different to like the us or something where you jump in a van and you do 40 dates over two months and you so it's a little bit different in that way but um but yeah i definitely miss playing live like the band that i play with like absolutely amazing um it's kind of funny like um i did an interview the other day and now like is it hard when you get to trying to put it into a live aspect like aspect and i'm like no (laughs) they're like amazing at the instruments and they can learn it in you know a couple of hours and play it like tenfold better than i did (laughs) it's um yeah it's really really great um but yeah we definitely want to do do a bit more touring and we want to do some like in the studio kind of live stuff um but yeah i think for the most part i just want to keep making records and just like learning and just get closer to the sound that i've been trying to achieve what do you think, what have you learned from the process of making this this album and what will you carry forward and what will you do differently next time around? Uh, I learned so many things. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think the biggest thing that I learned like personally was to write the songs front to back and write them all in a period of time and then record the drums for them all and <laughs> the bass for them all because this I kind of went back and forth because I was learning and I'd buy like I said like a new piece of kit or something and then I'd get really excited and then I'd work on that song for like a week and then I'd be like all right that one's done and then I'd kind of go to the next one and but I'd try like a new method or something so I think um yeah I just I just learned so much just about just like I think just songwriting in general and that whole method of kind of keeping it to a certain amount of tracks and like i mean yeah keeping it just like the basics and then that will really just shine through if yeah if i'm gonna keep kind of pursuing it um but yeah i mean the list goes on (laughs) (laughs) i think as the jumping back and forth thing's really tough because often that's how that's how people i mean if you if essentially if you don't have the luxury of being able to to just concentrate on what you're doing mm. all the time then a lot of people tend to be jumping back and forth yeah uh, between stuff and it can take you know if someone's looking to make say seven or eight track ep or you know 10 11 12 mm-hmm. track album that might take them a couple of years and the process of going yeah. back and forth and that is a big question do you write it all and then record it or do you yeah you know do you do you do what tackle one at a time and just go right that's polished mm. off but then as you say two years later you've you've sort of found your feet a little bit more and suddenly the sound's way different exactly. or you've found another way of doing it it's hard yeah and i think that way the sound i mean it's all like up to 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 what you want to make but for the for the music that i like to make it's i think it's just so important now to 
really stick through it and yeah write the song front to back um and then kind of just i think like when i also demo i just do it so quickly like and i've I've been trying to do it like even quicker like write it in a day record it in a day like finished um just to like never let my brain kind of do that thing that everyone's brain does it's just like it's not a good idea it's you know those doubts that everyone has um so yeah i think and it's and it's all like everyone does it differently and everyone has their own methods that's the kind of crazy thing about it um (laughs) But yeah, it's definitely kind of helped helped me that way. And then that way I can just focus on like the engineering of recording because I'm like the the pressure's off, the song's done. Now I just yeah. get to like have fun. <laughs> All the whole time that There's... I'm writing the song on piano, I just like just want to play the drum track for it. <laughs> but <laughs> it has, I'm like, it has to be finished because I just can't copy over what I had before. <laughs> No, like you, yeah, like you might have used to in the in the box. Yeah, there's there's so many little um, I don't know what you'd call them, like interludes in in the album, which mm. I really love. There's that I can't remember the name of the track specifically, but there's one that's a female vocal with stacked harmonies behind mm. it, and that's all it is. It's like I love all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. That to me typifies what you've said about just like running with an idea and not letting your brain talk you out of it. There's mm-hmm. so much of that. I can hear in the moment that you've mm. gone co- kind of gone down a rabbit hole and just gone like, do you know what? I've got this, this idea where th- it's going to do this and mm-hmm. I, and I chased it and I just did it and, and I'm keeping it like that. And yeah, you know, you could be forgiven for going like, well, what, what is that? Like, it's not yeah. necessarily a, a song. It's not a, in the stereotypical sense, Yeah, but it, I was walking back from the school run with a massive grin on my face, oh, nice. <laughs> listening to those stacked harmonies, just being like, this is mint. And I love, just love the sort of complete ballsiness of having mm. that kind of stuff there. And it's, um, there's not, in my opinion, there's not enough of that. Everything, yeah. you know, every a lot of that stuff these days is three minutes and that's it. Uh-huh. Whereas having those little, these little moments in there is so special. And, and I can see you've, you've allowed yourself to run away mm. with those thoughts. Yeah, I definitely, that was even like in a, in a mixing sense, like when you really deep dive on like 60s, 70s recordings, like you, you listen to some of those mixes and you're just like, this sounds ridiculous, <laughs> but it sounds so good at the same time. And all like, I remember it cause that like clap is like so loud or something. Um, so yeah, I just think the imperfections are just so important and it's almost like a dying I mean, I would say it's a dying art because more people are discovering that way of writing. But with like, I've just been so seeing so many like AI ads of like music creation or something, and it's just it's so it's so. I mean, that's a whole nother can of worms. But it's so like just just scary. Like you never want this this way of this like medium of writing music to die out because yeah, it's yeah, it's just. It just should hopefully live forever, and um, yeah, it's crazy, <laughs> crazy world. It'll be interesting to see if uh, if any of the big companies come out with like a new tape machine or something like that. Mm. that you know, rather than uh, rather than having buying an Atari and it breaking the day you buy it, yeah. <laughs> you know, having one that you know is going to be reliable. Be, I'm, yeah. I mean, there is that. There's a company over in the US that are still. I think they either manufacture them all their, themselves or they're they're buying old machines up and completely Yeah, the Mara them. Mara machine. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I mean that guy 
definitely seems like a businessman. <laughs> I've checked, yes. checked out his website and he's got, you pretty much have to pay for, for everything <laughs> that yes. you're getting, but hopefully it works at the end, <laughs> at well, the end yeah, of the day. Um, I myself, do I have, do I have not enough savings to get Amara? shipped over here anytime soon. <laughs> no. not with no I've, I've i've looked at that website enough times to, yeah. to consider it myself and then maybe one day who knows <laughs> yeah i think um yeah i like personally i just i think australia has because we're kind of close to japan we just have so much tascam stuff which is just mm-hmm. like such a blessing um but yeah a little bit of fun <laughs> what would you say sort of Oh, in the end, so there'll be people listening to this who mm. record in their in the doors and uh, probably feel intimidated by the process that you've just essentially completed. Mm. What would you say, having gone through it, to to those to those people who perhaps haven't started looking at mm. working in that way yet, but attempted to say get like a four track mm. and and just you know port a studio or something and just start having a bit of fun with it? What what's your experience? Obviously, we've we've heard about all your experience, but mm-hmm. what's, you know, having gone through that process, what would be your advice to someone considering getting on on board of that stuff? Um, I think to just like, just kind of, I mean, it's tricky because there is a a fair amount of kind of troubleshooting involved, but I think like something like Tascam is such a great brand and it was built for homes a lot of the time. Um, so the manuals are like super, super instructive. Um, but yeah, I, and I think like a lot of this stuff with like that Tascam with like all Tascam recorders and everything, it's like, they're just never going to kind of dip down in value because everyone really wants them a lot of the time. So it's like, it's kind of like not really much of a risk to, to at least try it because you could sell it for what it's worth. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I think to just like give it a go and, um, I don't know. Just be ready to figure out how to plug the RCA into. <laughs> <for> the, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think to just like not get, a, like as a base level, just someone like figuring out, just to not get overwhelmed and like, um, I don't know. It's just crazy that you can buy something that has sat there for fifteen, twenty years and it turns on straight away and will like somewhat work. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. It's like your iPhone's never going to do that. <laughs> but <laughs> no, that's true um yeah speaking of task games there's this guy like two hours away so he had this um atr like two track kind of recorder I hit him up and he's mm-hmm. like oh i just sold and i was like do you have anything else and he's like oh i actually used to own a um a studio back in the day and i was like do you have any other like tape machine like task games? and he's like yeah i've actually got like six of them kind of sitting here and like this inventory <laughs> I was like, would you mind sending me some photos? And it's like, yeah, like the ATR, like eight tracks and like 16 tracks. And, um, but yeah, hopefully we'll be picking some of those up. And it's just like kind of whenever I see them, they're, they're dying off a little bit. So I like to have at least a spare machine for parts or, um, yeah, but super, super gone off, off the topic of. No, no, <laughs> it's a great idea. It's interesting that I got uh, the, a, friend of mine who i've spoken with on the podcast called neil innes he um has a studio here in leeds it's a fully analog studio yeah. and um he is essentially he his studio is like a tape machine graveyard mm-hmm. so you know he's got his machine that he uses and yeah. then you go out the back and there's just like half 
like mangled tape machines that yeah, he's yeah. ripped something out of. And it's uh, if you want anything, he's got every little minute detail yeah. that you might need. And yeah. he'll buy, you know, he'll buy an old machine that doesn't work uh-huh. just for like yeah, yeah, a particular little... washer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, it, and and it's just like, it's the hobby side of it. And I think you kind of get to a point where you're like, well, if that makes me feel good, like that's that's what I'm going to keep doing. You know what I mean? Um, Absolutely. It's like those kind of like little simple things. It's like, yeah. If, and I think like the whole rush of it of like going to these random places and picking them up and like meeting these kind of like maybe like strange, like old cats and stuff, but they got like loads of stories and um yeah, I think it's just kind of just like, yeah, if that makes you feel good. And I think that's the reason why I love using this stuff. It like makes me feel good. It does make mm-hmm. me feel better when I'm writing and recording. So it's like, I'm going to keep keep doing it. So I think you just got to find out what makes you happy, really. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, the album is out next month, is it? Yeah, May 12th. May the 12th. Mm-hmm. Uh, Always Chasing Rainbows. Is mm-hmm. it... Uh, is it uh, Digital only, or are you going to do a, like a vinyl release or a CD release or anything? Yep, there'll be some vinyl. We're just still in Australia, still um, apparently from COVID, the orders have been still pushed back, but I think that's just everyone's that's excuse well. for just yeah. like not wanting to do the work. <laughs> <laughs> um, Love it. Yeah, you you call them out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for that record to come out. But yeah, like I said, I... Um, that record was kind of finished, um, I don't know, September last year. And I've been like pretty, pretty much writing a lot for the next one. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of just keen to keep, um, yeah, just keep writing songs and just like, like I said, just like learning and like at the same time, it's my hobby and I'm just so, I don't know, maybe like too obsessed with it, but <laughs> makes me feel good <laughs> I think it's I mean it's inspiring I, I love it I've said it I said it a, a minute ago I love the fact that you're just brazenly doing it and there's no that seemingly no self-consciousness there whatsoever mm-hmm. it's just learning doing trusting the process and and having a great time doing it and that's you know if that's not inspiring for anyone listening to this then I don't know what is because it's that's this that's the way you Mm. It's the way you you get happy from this stuff is to not think about it too much and just enjoy doing it. Yeah, because I think it just gets to a point when, yeah, if you're not enjoying it, it's just like it's just like what's the point of this? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Where I think there should there, yeah there should always be that element of yeah just feeling like you're a kid and you know um, no matter kind of what the circumstance is. Um, I think that's just so important to, to keep trying to do that all time. Closer. I think another year is over. I've never been alone. I'll wait by the So there we have it, the second part of my conversation with Nathan Hawes, a.k.a. Kesma. Do go and check out the albums called Always Chasing Rainbows, and it's on Spotify and all the usual places. Um, it came out last Friday, so it is out now. Go and have a listen. I'm listening to it uh, quite a lot at the moment, and it's really I just think it's brilliant. It's absolutely amazing. Um, so yeah, go and do that. 
Uh, I will be back with another episode next week. That just leaves me to say that you can find me on my Instagram at all you need is drums or at Joe Montague Drums. You can find all the Beatlesy things I do on my website, all you need is drums.com. Um, I would like to thank Adam Mallet for the artwork he provides for this, Joe Kane for the intro and outro music, and more, most importantly, you for listening. Um, and if you, if I've not lost you already, I should also say that if you have any guest suggestions or anything like that, please do get in touch because I'm uh, always on the lookout for people to chat to. I've got my own little priority list of stuff, but if you've got people that you think would be interesting for me to speak to, particularly if you're in Australia or uh, America or a part of the world or you know Canada, a part of the world that I'm not at, I, I love finding like-minded musicians who are elsewhere in the world to to make connections with and to sort of broaden this community that we're building but anyway yeah please do get in touch and uh, i will see you next week goodbye